Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of the Bibles that we've provided. Uh, at the center of each aisle, you'll see up under a chair, kind of near a chair on the, on the center, uh, stacks of Bibles. Flag somebody down who's sitting over there and they'll pass one to you if you don't have one. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. We're studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the longest section of Jesus' teaching that's preserved for us anywhere in the Bible. One of the best windows into what Jesus meant by the kingdom that he was going around preaching about. What it would be like, in other words, to be with him, to be one of his people, marked off for his purposes. We've just finished the opening section of this sermon that's called the Beatitudes. A section where Jesus was using these short, pithy, winsome statements to try to describe what the typical person in his kingdom looks like. What is the character of one who's been called out by Jesus from the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom he came to build? Then in the next section, after the one today, the one where we'll pick up after Easter, he, he takes us into a different direction, into a, into a section that's all about the law and how when, when he, in his coming, he's come not to get rid of the old law that Israel had lived by, but to take it to another level, to actually help people to understand what it would really look like to obey from the heart, not just on the outside. That's coming next. And right in between this Opening section describing the profile of someone who's with his kingdom. And the next section describing how he has come to call us to a a new way of being. Right in between two sections that describe our character as his followers, in other words. He's planted one of his most memorable images. Actually, a set of images. Right in between two sections on what kind of character Jesus' followers will have. He's given us a section that explains why our character is to be different. What our different character is for. It's not just about being different. It's about being different on a purpose. So that's where we are this morning. He's not describing Christian character in our our passage this morning. He's telling us why our character matters. What our unique character is for. And he's using two really powerful images that work together for the same point. One of, the, one of my favorite things about Jesus' teaching, this is our first taste of it in the Sermon on the Mount, is his images. He was so good at picking things from normal, common experience that he knew people would understand, that they could relate to, and using those images to try to, try to help their eyes pop open to the message he was trying to communicate. We're going to see it a lot of times throughout the Sermon on the Mount. This is our first example, the images of salt and light. What I want to do is first read the passage and then, and then we're going to use this passage to try to peel back three layers to our calling as Christians that come out in Jesus' use of salt and light. Would you please stand with me now in honor of God's word while I read? I'm going to pick up in verse 13, read to verse 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
This is God's word. You can be seated. Salt and light and the calling that Jesus has placed on the lives of all of his followers. That's our purpose this morning. That's our focus. What is this distinctive character he's given us to be used for? I mentioned I'm going I'm to pull apart three layers to our calling as Christians that come out of Jesus' two metaphors here of salt and light. And here's the first one. first layer is that we're called to be different. I'm going to risk the obvious here, but I want to make sure we start here because this is, this is really his main point in these images. We're called to be different. Different from what we were, different from what's around us as his followers. Notice his words about salt. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? In other words, if the salt has lost its saltiness, if it no longer has the character of salt, if it's tasteless, if it just blends into whatever you put it on. I don't understand unsalted potato chips. Some people eat those. I like mine to leave a nice thick residue on my fingers when I'm done. Let's say, let's say you put the thick layer of salt on the chips, but the chips still taste like bland potatoes. What's it good for? It just blends right into the taste that was already there. I'll tell you what it's good for. It's good to be thrown out and trampled under feet. It's good to blend in with the other forms of dust because that's all it is. Main point of that metaphor, salt should be salty. It should be different from what isn't salt. Juice of light makes exactly the same point. Jesus says in verse 14, you're the light of the world. Now this one's harder for us to connect with as city dwellers where darkness isn't ever total. We got lights on buildings, we got lights on streets, we've got lights on passing cars, we've got lights on screens in our living rooms and in the palms of our hands. But in the world of Jesus, first century hearers, in, in that world, darkness was thick. Darkness was heavy. It was oppressive. It was even dangerous. It's disorienting. Closest I've come to experiencing something like what would have been normal for Jesus' hearers is when we took a trip to Mammoth Cave a couple years back. Anybody been to Mammoth Cave? Show of hands, a few of you. It's pretty fun. Uh, the boys loved it. There's all these cave spiders that are crawling all over your heads, and there's always the prospect of a bat that might flutter about if you're lucky. One of the, one of the most important parts of the tour, one of the things they really live for, these tour guides, is the part where they take you in and shut the lights off. You get into the middle of this cave, which has got lights all along the path. But at some point, the ranger says, all right, we're going dark. Flips the switch, tells you to look at your hand. And you hold your hand up in front of your face. You see nothing. The darkness is absolute. Your hand may as well not be there. It's bizarre. I don't, I mean, some of you guys have experienced that. That would have been normal for the people Jesus was talking to. That was like a nightly thing that they dealt with. Now... In a world where darkness can be that thick, that oppressive, that disorienting, you cannot miss light. 
Imagine that world of darkness without all the public lights. Imagine moving down a path by whatever light you could get from the stars. Maybe it's a full moon and you've got something you can see by. Imagine you're moving through a rural area down a path that you know is there, but you're stumbling along trying to stick to it. And then you round a bend or maybe come up over a bluff and you see Jerusalem. It's almost certainly what Jesus had in mind when he talked about the city on the hill. That was Jerusalem to these people. You always went up to Jerusalem, no matter where you were coming from. Now imagine you come in, in that darkness over a bluff and you see the city on the hill lit up. With thousands of lights, and torches, and lamps coming from all the windows and from the fires. and People are there. You don't miss that. You can't miss it. A city on a hill can't be hidden, not in a culture like that one. Nor would you want to hide it. Jesus' point develops a little further. He says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Why would you? What would you do that for? In a world of total darkness. If you've got a lamp, you don't put it under a basket so that the light just blends into the darkness. So that it joins the darkness. In that world, the reason you light a lamp is to put it on a stand out in the middle of the room so it illuminates everything all around it. What's Jesus saying? And the same thing that he said about the salt. What's the point of the light if it just blends into the darkness? If it's not different? If it doesn't stand out? Well, there is no point. What Jesus is doing here is, is reinforcing something he's been trying to say through all the Beatitudes and what he's about to start saying again through the rest of chapter 5. That when you join him, when you're with Jesus... Your life is different than what it was. You don't get to be with him and stay the same. Your character can't be hidden and you wouldn't want to hide it. So before we move on from this most basic, most obvious of the points that he's making through these metaphors, I want to to speak to you, those of you who are here this morning as Christians and then I want to speak to those of you who are here this morning who aren't Christians, maybe considering Jesus for the first time. If you're a Christian here this morning, before we go any further, I want to make sure you recognize Jesus is calling us to avoid two separate errors, two different imbalances we could fall prey to here. On the one hand, you can't want to be different just to be different. You can't want to stand out just so that you stand out. The things that mark Jesus' disciples as different from those around him, they aren't random. They're very specific. They're what was described in the Beatitudes. They're what's about to be described in the rest of this sermon. They're things that matter to Jesus. So don't hear him saying, you're supposed to be different like salt or like light and think that he's patting you on the back for the differences you've installed in your life that really are just there to make you look good. I've been guilty of this, of, of, sort of, of locking in on Something that was easy for me to do, some standard that was easy for me to meet, and then all of a sudden making that a standard for everyone else. And and it's celebrating in my own heart the fact that I stand out on this thing that Jesus never asked for, on this thing that doesn't matter anyway. Make sure that whatever it is you're standing out for is something that matters to Jesus. Otherwise, it's useless. So so avoid that error. But then, then I also want you to avoid something on the other end of the spectrum as a Christian. Sometimes, sometimes, 
we feel the, the strong pull to blend in. Standing out isn't, isn't what we're attracted to. We, we want to make sure, what we want to communicate to other people is that we're just like them. Sometimes we really like not being one of those Christians, you know, the weirdo types who really actually believe in some of these crazy things or actually make certain crazy decisions about their lifestyle. We're Christians, but, but we really are just like you. I feel that pull sometimes. Our calling is to stand out when some of us really want to blend in. So I'm not going to get more, any more specific than that except to encourage you to think about it. To think about where in your life, maybe this week even, you've seen yourself wanting to maybe minimize your Christianity so that you, you don't stand out as much from the people in your life who aren't Christian. We've got to learn to recognize that in ourselves and to check it. Because, friends, there's just no purpose for us as Christians in the world if we don't stand out, if we're not different. So be careful that your differences are ones that matter to Jesus. And be careful of your own heart's desire to minimize differences and blend in. There's probably something, there's probably something dangerous behind that desire. Now, that's to you guys who are Christians. I want to speak now for a moment to those of you who are here this morning who aren't Christians. First of all, thank you for coming. We're so glad that you're here. Every week we pray that God will bring to us people who are interested in Jesus who aren't Christians yet. Thank you for coming. Uh, we, we want to meet you. We want to talk to you about where you are and what you're thinking. We want to pray with you and for you. I want to make something really clear to you if you're here this morning as, a, as someone who's not yet a Christian. You're hearing this talk about standing out, being different. There is, a, there, there is a kind of misunderstanding that can creep in here. What I don't want you to hear is that you have to be different than what you are now if you want God to accept you. I don't want you to hear that what Jesus is saying is that first of all, you've got to get yourself a, light, a life that looks like light and darkness and then you'll be good with God. First clean up your act, then God will have you. You've got to be different in order to get in. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that when we were darkness, completely blended in, Jesus entered our darkness as the light of the world. He came into our darkness for us while we were even still sinners and enemies of God. That that's where we were when he meets us. And anyone who is ever called out by God to be different is called out when they're there. Messy, broken, helpless and hopeless. That is the only place anyone ever meets God. But the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel's message is not just that Jesus, because he has died a death that we deserve, can erase our record of sins against God and make us clean. The gospel's message is also that, that the God who meets us in our messiness has the power and is committed to using his power to transform us, to make us something different than what we were. What we're saying is that he has made us his workmanship. That's the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. That we are created in Christ as new creatures for good works. So, in other words, 
part of the gospel is that God won't leave us where we are, but will always make us different. That means you can't be with him and stay as you are. You do need to recognize this morning, friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, that if you were to commit to Jesus, if you were to turn to him for forgiveness and cleansing and hope, part of what you're doing is embracing his agenda for change in your life. He will make you different than what you are, and you've got to be for that, not against it. It's what Jesus calls repentance and acceptance of his kingdom. And that's what it looks like for anyone ever to come to Jesus, to believe in his promises and to accept his change agenda in your life. All right, that's the first layer from Jesus' images of salt and light. First layer to what it is to be a Christian is to be called to be different. Salt has got to taste different than what it's put on. Light has got to look different, shine differently than the darkness that it's around. First, we're called to be different, but that isn't where, I think that, that, that there's, a, there's another crucial layer to the images Jesus is using here. Salt should be salty. The reason salt should be salty is so that salt could be useful. The reason that light should be visible is so that light can be useful. So we're called not just to be different for its own sake. We're called to be different so that we can be useful. We're called to be useful. Kingdom citizenship and the character that changes that Jesus is talking about here, these are never just some means to personal growth. They're not just about becoming a more stable, peaceful, well-rounded person, though they are about that. They're not just about self-fulfillment, though they do promise fulfillment. They're not just about a personal relationship with God, where you enjoy communion with Him, where you sense His presence, where you feel beloved by Him, where you get a sense that He has made you His child, adopted you into His family, though it is about that. It's never just about what I experience on my own in my relationship with Jesus. These character differences that he's promising will happen in the lives of the people who are with him are not differences that could be fully at home in an isolated monastery or on a deserted island. They are differences meant to be deployed on mission for him. We're to be different but always engaged and always helpful. There's no room here, in other words, for some sort of isolated, even for an isolated community, much less an isolated life. There's no room here for an isolated community where people revel in how different they are from the world around them and sort of have this fortress built up with holes just big enough to point their fingers through at all those people out there who are not like us. That, that is not the image of the differences Jesus is saying should be normal for us as Christians. Just the opposite. By using this salt and light imagery, he's pointing us to the kinds of things we should provide to the world through our differences. The kinds of good that should come about in the places where God has put us because we're with him. Because our lives are not what they would be otherwise. So I don't think we should push the metaphors too far. I don't think they're meant to be picked apart, but, but we can pick them apart a little bit. Salt, what does salt do? Salt, salt preserves, especially in the communities like these that didn't have refrigerators didn't have deep freezes if you wanted to keep some meat that you that was going to last you all year you'd you'd salt it jesus calls us the salt of the earth almost certainly one of the things he has in his mind is that the differences he his his grace has made in our lives are meant to help are meant to be used to preserve the the communities that we're put in they should be let there should be less decay there than there would be if we weren't with them 
salt flavors. Our life together in the city where he's put us, in the neighborhoods where he's put us, it should taste different. It should have a different flavor to it because we're there, because we're showing mercy, because we're making peace, because we're acting as the poor in spirit who are humble and don't think they are better than everyone else. Because, they aren't, because we aren't out to make a name for ourselves, but are freed up to serve and to love. Our communities should, should taste different because we're in them. And what does light do? It illuminates, doesn't it? Light is how you see where you're going. It's how you see what's around you. It's how you see what is, what's true. Jesus has called us to be different, partly so that we can illuminate the places where we live. So that we can point towards what's true about the world. We can point towards the truth of our creation in the image of God. The truth about the dignity of all human people, no matter who they are, where they come from. The truth about about sin, about brokenness, about the need for justice in a world that isn't what it should be. He's called us to preserve and to flavor and to illuminate where we are. So so to, to take it down one more level, he's called us to be different so that we can be useful. And that means that your job, for example, your job is not how you make money, though it is that. It isn't how you make a name for yourself, though you will, one way or the other, in how you conduct yourself there. No, your job, whatever it is, is a posting given to you by your king to serve the people that you work with, to serve your customers, to serve your students, to serve your public. Your job is a venue for displaying Christian character. Your marriages, those of you who are married. It's not a capstone for your life. Sort of the last piece to the puzzle for you being a well-rounded person that you imagined yourself to be. It isn't an excuse to have sex, though sex is a big part of it, a wonderful gift in it. It It isn't a source of security for you that protects you from the world, though it should be a very secure place for you. It, it is these things, but it's, it's also more. Your marriage is an opportunity to contribute to society. Marriage, healthy, intact marriages are one of the basic building blocks of any healthy society. When those decay, society decays too. Your calling in your marriage is to be salt and light where God has placed you. It's an opportunity to reflect the love of Jesus for you by the way you love one another in public. It's an opportunity for you to band together, to make your home a site for hospitality, for showing the grace that God has shown you by welcoming you to his banquet that he has prepared. And speaking of your home and your neighborhood, your house is not just a place for you to live. It isn't just a good investment. It isn't just providing you ready access to cool stuff in close proximity to your neighborhood. It is those things. But as a Christian, called to be different so that you're useful, your house is a base of operations in a neighborhood that God has placed you in. A neighborhood that He chose for you. It's a neighborhood to which you belong. And by belonging, I mean it's bigger than you. You are obligated to it. It isn't there to serve your interests. It isn't there just because of all that it provides you in your life. 
you are given to it. God has deployed you where you are to preserve, to flavor, to illuminate, to serve its good. We could go on and on with these examples. Here's, the, here's, your, here's your job here, I think. Look at where God has placed you. Look at what opportunities you have in front of you. Maybe make a grid or a map. Maybe you use your small groups for this. Come up with a kind of grid. Here are my places of influence that God has put me in. Here's what I've got at my disposal. What would it look like for me to be salt and light here and over here? Over here and over here. Maybe list them out. Here are some examples. Start getting your mind thinking like this. Because this is what God has called you to. If you're with him, you're called to be different. There's, there's no choice in the matter. And you're called to be different, not for your own sake or even for the sake of your isolated communities, but for the sake of everywhere that God has put you. So what does that look like? What will that mean? And here's the last layer. We're called to be different so that we can be useful. But verse 16 points us to the main purpose behind our calling. The main reason we're supposed to be different for the good of our communities doesn't end with our communities and our communities' good. The main reason that we're to be different for the good of our communities is so that God gets glory. Look at what verse 16 says. In the same way, just like the light doesn't get hidden, put under a bushel, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that the communities are better off than they were? True. So that they are preserved from decay? Yeah. So that they taste different? So that they know more about the truth? Sure. But that actually isn't where he goes next. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, before you, just, before you just turn off your brains for a minute and think that Jesus has just tacked on the kind of benediction that all churchy language requires, that we slap the glory of God onto the end of things because that's what we do, there are two really, really important implications of the fact that Jesus ends here. You've got to get these. You must connect with these if you want to get the point of, of these images Jesus has given to us. Two really important reasons that the call to glorify God comes at the end of all of this. Here's the first one. Jesus ending his call for us to be different so that we're useful with this call to glorify God reminds us that our difference and our usefulness is never about us. See, here's the thing. Sometimes, as we talked about last week, sometimes our difference is from the world will bring hostility down on us. Sometimes we'll be persecuted. Jesus said everybody who's with him gets persecuted. And that's true. Uh, We should expect to be persecuted. But not always. Sometimes when we're obedient to him, when we express the beauty of his character, others will be drawn in. They'll like what they see. They may even celebrate it. Sometimes if we're faithful to Jesus, we'll get patted on the back. In fact, there are some useful things we can do precisely to be celebrated. We can use our service to other people to pad our resumes, for example. I was with some friends earlier this year, 
at this award ceremony where a buddy was getting uh, was up for a, 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 an award at a civic organization. And one of the things we laughed about afterwards is that every every person who was up for the award would get to have this video tribute to them, right? That they'd crafted for themselves. And uh, and one of the things we noticed is that every single one of them, I think except my buddy, every single one of them had, uh, had kind of the things they'd been doing in their job, but then always had this thrown-in photo montage of them building houses, you know, or of them you know, handing out water bottles or doing something civic, right? Something that was for the public good. And I'm so glad that they were doing those things. But it was so obvious that the reason they were doing those things was to have something to put on their video montage while they're up for this civic public service award. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. We're not talking about the kinds of things that come with t-shirts or Instagrammable moments. He's talking not about us building our own brand. Not being the kind of nice guys other people wish they were. Not, Not about building our brand. He's talking about us being different because we reflect and serve our king. We want people to notice him. That's how this section where Jesus is calling us to be different, to be noticeable, to do good deeds so that others see them. That's how this section squares with one we're going to come to a little bit later. If you turn over another page or so in Matthew, look at Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Flip back to verse 16 in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. How do you square those two up? With Jesus, it's always about your heart. It's always about motive. Never do your righteousness in order to be seen. But do your righteousness so that people will see and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. The Pharisees were really, really different. They were really noticeable. They stood out. But they were all about building their own brand. That's what they were doing when they gave money, along with a trumpet so that everyone watches while they drop in their coins. That's what they were doing when they fasted in public so that everyone noticed how committed they were. That's what they were doing when they strung together empty phrases in their long public prayers, trying to gain attention for how pious they were. They were building a brand. Jesus is reminding us that the kind of differences he's calling us to are never about us. They've always got to be about God getting glory for what he can do even in people like us. That's the first thing, the first major, uh, the first reason that this, is, that this point about glorifying God is huge, and we can't miss it. Here's the second reason. second reason this end is so important is that it reminds us that making the world a better place is never enough. Making the world a better place as salt and light, that's not enough. When we're with Jesus... When our differences from the world are put to his uses, then we will care about expanded access to medical care for the poor. But that won't be enough for us. 
We'll care about higher literacy, literacy among inner city kids, but that won't be enough for us. We'll care about more just laws, about more peaceful communities, about more job opportunities, about more racial harmony. We'll care about more enriching, more inspiring works of art. We'll care about these things because we care about our Father whose beauty shows up where these things show up. We'll care about them because His love for us shows up where these things show up. But they'll never be enough for us. Because what we want most, what we want through these good things, is for people to glorify God Not just for us to glorify him by our obedience, but for the people we serve to glorify him from their own hearts, from their own minds, and with their own words. Our goal is always the repentance and faith of those that we serve. We want God to get glory from them. Our goal is always going to be the people we serve, the neighbors we live around, seeing God behind what we're doing and choosing to worship Him for themselves. And that means that our good works will never be enough. Our good works are always needing to be joined, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things. Our good works, ultimately, will always need to be joined with words that interpret these works for people, that explain to them what our motive is that explain to them where we're coming from, that explain to them what has been done for us that has now led us to do these things that we wouldn't do otherwise, that there's hope for them, that we are not some standard that they should meet. We are redeemed and, and, and transformed people who have been captured, caught up by the same God that will transform and redeem them if they'll turn to Him, if they'll glorify Him because of what they're seeing. We're useful like salt and light when through our distinct lives people come to see God's beauty, when they come to see His power, when they come to see His trustworthiness for themselves in their own hearts and minds. That's when we're different in a way that's useful God, help us to be this sort of community, to work together, to do good that will bring you glory. We know from our own experience, we've had plenty of experience to know that our pride is always creeping in the shadows just around the corner anytime we do something good. And we know from experience that Our energy to do good is always less than the amount of good that needs doing. We know from experience that we don't have the strength or the holiness to handle this calling by ourselves. So we pray that your grace would keep on doing its work in us, that your spirit would keep on producing its fruit, and that you would use us through our commitment to each other, to inspire one another and enable one another and mobilize one another to do good in your name for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.